You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. All right, welcome to episode number 35 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Scott Allen. Scott is the assistant coach for the Wallaroos, the Australian women's rugby team, and is currently in the midst of their 2017 Women's Rugby World Cup campaign preparations. He's had previous senior coaching roles with the University of Queensland and was also a prominent analyst on the Raw website and the Green and Gold podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Scott, so welcome. G'day, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Um, so, yeah, we touched a bit on your backstory there. What, how, how did you get into into coaching, and you know, what's a bit of a bit of a summary of your your playing career and your coaching career so far? Oh, I think playing career could be best described as a bit of size, a bit of talent, but uh, far too lazy. <laughs> so, didn't really ever do anything with it. Um, you know, when the time came, uh, when I got the call up. Uh, I took a job, and that was back in the amateur days, so I took a job over playing rugby and regretted it later, but, you know, so be it. Um, And then uh, coaching, look, my son was playing rugby at school. Um, I hadn't had a lot to do with rugby for about 10 years, Uh, so I I just started helping his team. And then, you know, he started playing clubs, so I started helping that team, and it went from there. Um, When eventually he uh, graduated from school, I was enjoying it so much, I decided to go and coach uh, senior rugby. So um, got into it, started doing that uh, about 10 years ago yeah. and uh, progressed through to uh, what's a premier grade level uh, here in Australia. So basically the level below um, uh, super rugby. So, you know, we have super rugby players coming back and playing for the club, uh, sometimes wallabies, um, when they're not obviously engaged in the, in the super comp. Mm. Um and then, you know, a good mix of Australian under-20 players and players who now play in the NRC. So good standard. Um, being a university side, you know, we're always a very young team. So average age in last year's team was 21. Right. Um, so, you know, all very talented players, but mm. but young. And, you know, I found that very, found that very enjoyable coaching you know, less experienced players and, you know, watching them develop over time. Yeah, for sure. There must be no shortage of energy either in the group. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And now you've uh, got yourself into a national coaching role uh, with the Wallaroos. What's, how's that been so far? What's a, what's a bit of a general description of your role there and the, the experience so far? Um, so I'm the, I'm the assistant coach, um, primarily look after the forwards, um, the head coach looks after the backs. Uh, so there's just the two of us, but I've also taken on, you know, the breakdown work, mm-hmm. um, general attacking play exits. Um, I had not had anything to do with women's, women's rugby before last year. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, bit of a shock to me and, you know, in, in learning just, you know, the different ways things are done. Um, but essentially, you know, the best advice I got before I took on the role was from uh, one of the, the uh, senior medical people at our club. And, and I said to her, you know, give me some tips. And she said, I can tell you that the girls just want to be treated like rugby players. Yeah, yeah, no and, doubt. And 
essentially that's it. You know, just because they're female doesn't mean we do anything different. Um, so, look, it's been really interesting. It's very different in, in the national role because obviously the players are, are spread out all around the country. You don't yeah. get to see them in pre-season. You don't get to see them every week. Um, you know, with, with the budget constraints that are in women's rugby you know we don't have the ability to fly around the country and, and do sessions with with the girls in each city um, so you know this year we'll we'll see them uh, the day that we hop on the plane to go for our first test wow. so yeah. our, our preparation is you know there's lots of work by phone email mm. um, doing a lot of video work so you know we're at the level where we've got the girls you know we'll, we'll do something we're, we're working on a particular area have it somebody video it on their mobile phone send me the video you know i'll cut that video up compare it to the previous one we had them do and uh you know look at the technique that they're working on uh, we have got the ability to fly around the country and, and see some games and work with some players mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's very different not having your whole group together um essentially until you hop on the plane and then you got a few days preparation um so you know we have to uh, we have to basically keep as much as we can out of what we did this year and then slowly build on it. Um, mm. It's it's very hard to introduce lots of new things. Um, we'll get a, a bit more time together before the World Cup in Ireland um, in August this year. Um, but, yeah, the time constraint is something that's very different and something that, um, yeah, basically I'm finding we have to come up with new ways to overcome that. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, being based in Canada and being – you know, involved with some regional teams and some age grade national stuff. That's that's like it's it's frustrating at times, but it's also pretty cool because it, it throws out some challenges to you. That okay, what can we do a thousand kilometres away from each other? And you know, with with the technology that we have now, and the, like you say, the use of videos and the use of just you know Skype or simple things like that, you can you can really check some boxes there uh, over over a good period of time there. Yeah, well, look, one of the good things is, you know, if, if you're normally in a, in a situation where you're with the team week in, week out, or even on a tour, mm-hmm. you know, you're able to sit with the players after a match and, and go through their video with them mm-hmm. and look at things they did well and things they could do better. Um, you have very limited opportunity to do that, obviously, now, but the beauty is that, you know, we take the footage we get. I actually put it into a video review as though I were sitting with the player <clears throat> and, and do the voiceover of it and then send it off to them. The, the good part with that is if they were in a, if, say we were doing the review just before training, mm-hmm. only a certain amount goes in and gets retained. Yeah. Because they think, they're thinking about running on the field or they've forgotten it during training. With this one, they can watch it 10 times if they want and keep going on the points until they get it. So yeah. it actually does have some advantages in that regard. Yeah, for sure. And you can just, you can just hammer home like, you know, four or five key areas that you think are, are fundamental for success. Yeah. All right, cool. So um, the Women's Rugby World Cup, like you said, it's in Ireland in August. Um, could be uh, could be worse places to go and uh, play, be involved in a, a World Cup. So what what how's the lead up going to look like that um, for that tournament? So we've got our, our women's nationals in May this year. So each mm-hmm. state and territory puts a team in. Uh, that's a three day tournament. Um, that we'll attend and effectively we use that as our selection tournament. Um, you know, we've, we've got a pool, a squad of players at the moment who are you know, on training programs. Um, we hope then that they'll all get selected in their state and territory teams. 
We'll then pick a squad out of that, uh, let's see, of 26 players. And two weeks later, we head to New Zealand for a Four Nations tournament. Um, we're playing top three teams in the world, so New Zealand, England and Canada. Mm-hmm. So uh, one test each. So that'll be really good build-up for us, playing yeah. you know, such high-quality opposition. Um, that's a really good lead-up. So that's June. Then... Um, we head off late July to Ireland. We're hoping to have a warm-up game before the tournament. And then we play Ireland uh, in the first round, France in the second round, and then Japan in the final round of the pool stages. And then we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, and that's, you know, people might look at that and say, oh, that's a, a, a doable pool. But, you know, talk about two women's sides who have really shown a lot of improvement uh, in the last couple of years are Ireland and France. And, you know, I think the last men's world rugby world cup goes to show that you should never underestimate Japan. So it should be some good good challenges there. Yeah, well, you've only got to look at what Ireland did in the last world cup in two thousand and fourteen, where they beat the Black Ferns, mm-hmm. which is absolutely uh, yeah. the only loss they've had in five six years. Um, yeah. So they're a really good team, and playing them at home is going to be a real challenge. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's great we get them in in our opening match. So. Mm-hmm. Both teams should be fully fit. Uh, and then four days later, we're back up against France. And, look, they're a really good team. But, um, we, you know, we're obviously – we'll keep a keen eye on the Six Nations that starts That's next right. month. That's right, yeah. Six Nations and see what those two teams in particular do. Uh, so, yeah, look, really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great year. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And, you know, I watched the, the last Women's World Cup closely and the, the quality of rugby was outstanding and I, I really think it's just going to take that next step uh, up and, you know, just, just seeing the women's sevens game, uh, I just think it'll be an amazing tournament. So, uh, yeah, I can't, can't wait to watch it. Okay, so moving on, we're, we're, we're focusing this episode on uh, line-out work and, like you said, you're, you're the women's forwards coach. Um, when when you're working with a with a team and it's a, the first session you've had with with the group, how how would that look like if you're if you're doing a solely a line out session? What what would that first session look like if someone was watching? So I, I probably do things slightly differently. Um, you know, I focus very much on uh, the technical aspect uh, of line out lifting mm-hmm. at, the, at the very beginning. Yeah. You know, my view is that you know. If you think about it, how many times have you watched a line-out where a caller's got the call right, the jumper's in space, you know, they go up uncontested and the ball sails over the top of them and, yeah. and most people, you know, always blame the thrower. Blame the it's, always, <laughs> yeah, it's always the thrower's fault. But then yeah. you look at it and, and half the time it's because the lift was poor. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it's a bit like somebody throwing darts at a dartboard. If you were to move the dartboard just before they threw... And then you blame them for not hitting the bullseye. Mm. You know, it's a bit yeah, unrealistic. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I believe one of the, the key elements in a lineout is that you got to get your lift right so that the jumper's in the same spot that the hooker expects every time. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you can have the best hooker in yeah, throwing in the world. You can have the best lineout calls in the world. You can spend all this time practicing them. If you don't get your lift right, <laughs> the ball misses the target. Mm. So, so I always start on that. Um, you know, get down to just the very basics of technique. Um, you know, I like to use some some keywords that I have. Um, I also use some analogy to uh, the cleaner jerk in weightlifting, yep. particularly the jerk the jerk part of the lift. You know, yep. I see lots of similarities between the two. Yeah. You know, so so focus very hard on you know the real basics. I get down to the you know position of the hands on the jumper 
um, yeah. because that then impacts on whether you can lock your arms out, which which lock you know, and then impacts on whether you can get full extension in the lift and therefore get the jumper to the right height. Um, you know, get you know, we talk about you know lots of lineout coaches. You know, we all talk about you know either stepping in, making an A-frame, chest to chest of the lift lifters. You know, I, I like to relate it back to the weightlifting scenario. Have you ever seen a weightlifter try to hold the bar up and get free green lights and keep the weight out in front of them? <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it just it doesn't happen. Yeah. So, you know, they, they know that the only way to hold a heavy weight up is to get it up, you know, above your head as much as possible. So, you know, work on that sort of scenario. I, I actually get to the point in my uh, first line-out sessions and there's all bemused looks from players that haven't been coached by me before when I turn up with a barbell. Mm-hmm. You know, to a line-out session. Nice. You know, what's, <laughs> what's this going to be like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, and then it's just doing something different to try and get away from, you know, they may have heard step closer, all those things in the past. Mm-hmm. So do something different um, and then work on that technique. And so I, I basically start in pods of three, uh, very static, just have a jumper with the two lifters, no movement, um, get that technique right. And then, uh, you know, got a couple of little games that I play where, you know, they have to make a continuous number of lifts um, with the ball going around circles. Yeah. Um, once I see that we, we're actually getting the lift to full height and therefore we can rely on where it's going to be, it, only then do, we, do I start getting a ball and a thrower involved. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, just start really basic. Start mm. with the with the static lift. Um then start with the lifters coming to the jumper and then the jumper moving to the lifters, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. And, you know, I find if we can get all of that right, then, you know, and really I, that probably takes a couple of sessions before I'm comfortable that the basics are okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the other things that I, I like to work on a lot with jumpers is, you know, their footwork. You know, quite often you'll see jumpers take three steps to get into yeah. the jump when they yeah. They could have taken two, and it's as simple as if you started with this foot instead of this foot, you would have cut a step out, and that step saves a lot of time. Um, you know, with the jumpers, I look for the basic errors of, you know, I, I, my feeling is that most jumpers believe that they're the ones who actually get the height in the jump. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is the best jump, the jumper really only gets 20 centimetres off the ground yeah, exactly. before, before the lifters take over. So do you really need to dip down so that your, your thighs are almost parallel with the ground to get 20 centimetres off the ground? No. You know, you only need a small dip. If you did that small dip fast and just got your 20 centimetres off the ground, you're much faster than the opposition jumper and you get yeah. into the air faster. Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah. It's so a tougher, tougher read too for the defensive uh, jumper as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and then I get down to the basics of, you know, we all know that we want the jumper to be like a plank of wood in the air rather than a garden hose flopping around. Mm. I think everybody, I think everyone's been coached that. But one thing I, the common fault that I see with jumpers is they, they sort of flap their arms around. It's like they're trying to fly and take off. So, you know, work with the jumpers to get your hands and elbows in nice and close to your body. Keep everything tight and compact, which again makes you faster, uh, makes you more rigid in the air. Um, so as I say, I'm, I really like to get down into that detail and get that right because the best line-out move in the world will fall apart if you don't have those things right in the first place. No, and that's a classic thing too. Like you see it a lot in uh, school rugby as well. These, you know, I remember when uh, 
the the All Blacks beat the French in the final. Um, was that 2011? And uh, I think it was Woodcock who split through the middle there with a moving back pod. Uh, I think the following school rugby season, every lineout was trying to do that, but the the jumper couldn't get up, the lifters couldn't hold him, and the the throw thrower couldn't throw. So it just comes back to those fundamental core skills that they're non-negotiable for anything to to move forward. Yeah, well, look, it's typical when you turn up to training that the players, you know, they're not when they're doing a lineout session, they're actually looking to practice these lineouts and the mm-hmm. new moves they might have come up with. It's a bit like when you go to, um, you know, you're going to practice your attack. Everyone wants to practice the play, but no one wants to practice the catch and pass, which is actually essential to the play that you're yeah, going to run. Absolutely, um, yeah. And it's it's the same in a lineout. So yeah. yeah. Okay. What what about um, subtleties between front lifter and back lifter? What uh, what do you find uh, has worked for you? I'm amazed uh, at how many players don't really understand the concept of getting the timing right. Mm-hmm. So you know whether it should be a, a jump throw or a throw jump. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, you know that that comes back to the basics. Um, also amazed at the number of front jumpers who, you know, dip down at all. And really, the, the, you know, we've seen um, um, Etzebeth from South Africa, mm-hmm. the way he starts in his loaded position down low, so that his movement is straight up. Yeah. Well, if you've got a, a light, you've got a light front jumper. Why do they even have to start loaded down like that? You know, they can, they can basically spring from a standing position if they're light, and the lifters can take over and just throw them straight up. Mm. That that you know that it's a tenth of a second it takes to dip down and get back up, and maybe two tenths, but that time is all that the opposition needs. And of course, they can read what you're doing. If they see you dipping down, well, you know they they know what's on. So, yeah, there's there's, there's that difference obviously there. Um, the movement across the ground is always a big issue with your, your middle and rear lifters, uh, sorry, jumpers. You know, in that you, know, you get jumpers running into lifters. Um, you know, people, as soon as there's movement, one of the big problems I find is that as the weight, let's say we're going backwards onto the back lifter, as that weight comes back on them, they make the mistake of stepping backwards. And mm-hmm. as soon as they do that, they lose height. Yeah. So... So, you know, again, a real fundamental, and you're talking about that move that uh, the All Blacks used in the World Cup final. If you watch the rear lifter in that, he actually braces for impact, and as the jumper comes back onto him, he's moving forward to counteract the momentum that the jumper had. Mm. Um, So little things like that uh, are really important. Um, You know, everybody being ready, uh, particularly in the middle of the line-out, being ready to... Lift even when the calls changed at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so many players, you know, when they're back in the line out, think they've got time to correct mistakes and catch up. But you know, you get you get the front lifter who's in position, uh, and there's been some movement, and they start the lift. Well, as they lift, obviously they can't lift straight up, so they start to push back against the jumper. If that rear lifter is not there immediately, then you know the lift becomes one sided. Mm. So, again, split seconds make all the difference when you've got movement in the middle of the line-out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, cool. You know, you, you touched on a little bit of that you bring a barbell to your first session, which I think is awesome. On, on that note, what are, what are some of the, the strength and conditioning crossovers that you see that, you know, that your forward pack, if they're in the weight room, you, you think, okay, they have to be doing these specific lifts to, to transfer over into their line-out work? 
Yeah, well, obviously we do the normal lifts, but then, you know, we've, we introduced last year one that I've used in the past where, you know, with the bar is into a, a, a slot on the ground mm-hmm. with no weight on that end and it's weight on the, on the other end that you're holding on to. Okay. But, you know, effectively you're, you're just lifting as though you were starting to lift in the line-out. Um, and, you know, you're doing that repeatedly. So you, you're squatting down in the same way you would and you're pushing away from you the same as you would in a line-out right. rather than lifting straight up and down. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a simple stuff. doesn't take any extra equipment. It's just a matter of making sure you've got a brace on the floor. So, you know, we've added that to, to what the girls are doing. Um, we obviously have increased uh, the specific core work we're doing yeah. um, for, for all the forwards, you know, because mm-hmm. that – that obviously applies um, in both uh, lifting and jumping in the lineup, as it does in in all aspects of the game. But you know, particularly for the set piece work. Um, but look, you know, one of the other basics is is just you know doing a lot of that jerk work. So yeah. you know, but but not doing it from from a standing start, doing it from the sort of di- uh, height that you would be as a lifter, getting down in position with the bar on your chest. Uh, and then exploding up, and how quickly can you get that bar to the top of your lift? Yeah, um, yeah. you know, and you, you're getting all the the benefits of of building muscle, but you're also getting that muscle memory into how fast can I get this up? Because the lift is all about explosive power. So yeah, I like to see them doing a lot of that in the gym. Okay, great. You you touched on earlier that uh, you know the playing group is really spread out. So obviously they're going to be responsible for, for a lot of their own skill development when they're, when they're outside of sessions. What, what are some of the, the key responsibilities you give your, your players, specifically of line-outs that, that, that they need to be doing uh, individually or in small groups? Um, so, you know, a lot of it starts with match review. So, you know, we've got all the girls at the moment reviewing past footage of the teams we'll play in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the trends? You know, what do they do both? In attacking lineouts and defensive lineouts, yeah, um, you know where are the opportunities, and that you know I find that that starts to get them thinking more about their role. Um, whether it means we'll change anything in our lineouts is is another matter altogether. We'll mm-hmm. get to see the results of that, but if they're thinking about what they have to do, um, and if I've got the key words across to them in all these technique, uh, you know what I'm looking for is them to come back on a clip and not just say. Um, you know, two moved here and three did this and somebody, here's the trigger for the line-out, but to look at it and say, look at the good lift there. They did what you told us to do and they didn't and look what happened. So if Mm. they can start to pick up those differences, then as a coach, I've done my job and they start to coach themselves. Um, So when they're working in their groups, you know, that's what I'm encouraging. I'm telling them, you know, you're all coaches just because I'm not there. If you're not one that's involved in that pod of three working on your lift or your jump, then you should be standing alongside and saying your hands are in the wrong spot or you're not doing what Scott told us to or whatever. So, you know, I'm using them basically as, as assistant coaches. Um, one of the other things I've done is, uh, you know, we have a, a certain line-out structure and I'm working with all the potential callers and I'll send them a video once a week with 10 different setups, you know, just animated graphics on the screen mm-hmm. that says that says to them, you know, of the 10, which call of ours would you use based on what I've put the opposition doing? You know, where's the space? Uh, and have them yeah. then submit back, submit back to me their 10 answers. 
Now, there's never an absolute right or wrong because it's, a, it's on a piece of paper, but I can then go back to them and say, well, why did you pick that option? What about, look at the space you missed? Or, you know, and they're getting better at that. So little things like that. Um, no, things great. that I'm asking to do in, in terms of the lineup. Yeah, that's that's great, and I think um, just getting getting players up to that that competitive level and those uh, decisions under protect uh, under those decisions under pressure under fatigue. Uh, if they if they feel like they've been there already, that's got to be a massive advantage. Yeah, well, look, it's starting to have an impact. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of time together last year, so. Mm. And, you know, and look, you know, everybody learns differently. We all know that. So mm-hmm. some some look at a piece of paper with, you know, circles moving on it um, and say, well, I can't relate that to a line-out. <laughs> yeah. um, others get it. Uh, even if they don't actually get it, I, I just want them to start thinking about it, that it's not just I'm going to walk into a line-out and I'm going to run a call because that's my favourite call or it worked last mm-hmm. time, yeah. you know. Um, and... You know, they may not be the only things I'll do. Basically, with with this new role, um, because we haven't got the girls with us, I'm trying to come up with new things. Um, I'd often wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh, why don't I try that? So <laughs> I think, I it's think, a work. Yeah, that's a, that's a coach's curse right there. <laughs> yeah, it's a work in progress. Yeah, cool, sweet, awesome. Um, okay, well, one, one thing that, one area that I think is really undercoached in the game is defensive lineouts. And you know, if uh, I think one of my top three live Wallabies moments was uh, watching Justin Harrison steal that one uh, in the final minutes of the third British Lions Test in two thousand and one. Such a, such a crucial part of the set piece game. H- how do you incorporate that into your into your sessions and into your your remote work that you do with the with the girls? Well, I absolutely agree with you. So we set a target, and you know, we will win a percentage of our lineouts, mm-hmm. and you know, it's actually it encompasses what we win off the opposition as well. So, you know, I'd actually like to think that we could win more than 100% and the girls say to me, how is it possible we can win more than 100%? So, you know, if we've got 10 lineouts um, and we win all 10, well, we win one of theirs, well, we've got 110% of ours, haven't mm-hmm. we? So if we only win 90% of ours and we've got to win enough that, you know, we, we get back above 100% by winning some of them. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get you can get just as good a ball off a defensive line out as you can off an attacking line out. Um, you know, you also have the advantage that the uh, attacking back line's not set up in defence. Um, I think it's easier to transition from defence into attack than it is from attack into defence. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really valuable ball. Um, I know we we got punished in New Zealand with a, with some pretty poor throws, and and they made us pay uh, last year when we played them when we lost line out. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a key thing. We do work on it. Um, you know, we, I probably, I find in sessions, you're always time constrained. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't, I probably don't spend as much time as I would like to on defensive line outs. And that's purely a factor of, we can't get our own line outs right in the first place. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you put you maybe put 80% of your focus on winning your own ball and then where possible throw in, um, a bit of time on defensive. So then I you know, try to counter that by actually going in and doing a lot of work um, myself and then getting the girls to do work on what the opposition does so that we know. Um, doesn't always work. Um, in New Zealand, when we played them last year, you know, had a particular line-out, um, which I knew was coming. I showed the girls, I don't know how many times, 
we had a plan for it. The plan I thought would work. Uh, the first time they ran it, <laughs> we forgot the plan or I don't know what happened. <laughs> the second the second time we remembered half the plan and the third time we actually did it, we remembered the plan and it worked. Um, okay. And and the girls in the dugout said to me, you know, when we come off the field, they said, oh, when we ran that, they ran that first line out, we were going, here it is, Scotty showed us this, we know what to do. And then we didn't do anything and they said, oh, he's going to be mad. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. you can have the best plans. Um, at the end of the day, it's about everyone in the lineup looking it up and seeing what the opposition are doing because, you know, they can run variations of things you've seen in the past. Um, and you've got to be able to react, and and that's that's the key in defensive lineouts. It's yeah. speed. Yeah, and I think I think that's a great point there, just from a from a coaching and and a player point of view. Is like it's so experiential. Like, you know, the the amount between those two games, I think you cut the score in half. Obviously, that New Zealand team is very strong, but you cut cut the score in half. So that that shows that you know they they got to that competitive level in a very short turnaround and. That just by experiencing that, that, there must be massive learnings involved in the playing group, but also just that understanding that you got to respect the process of the the journey. That it's it's not going to happen in that first game, and that it that it is a process. Yeah, well, look, one of the things for us is we've played two tests now in the last four seasons, so yeah, exactly. you know we. Yeah. We need we need more rugby. Mm. We don't need to be watching video screens or, mm. or talking about it. Um, yeah, we had we had one test where you know we were like deers in the headlights, and New Zealand were fantastic. Um, we came out the second time, and we basically had four days to turn it round. Mm. Um, we knew we couldn't fix everything; uh, that it's a long term process. So we picked four things, and you know we as a coaching group we sat down the day after that game and and came up with our four, and then we just spent three days training four things only. Mm-hmm. That's all we did. Mm-hmm. Um, we got better in those four things. We didn't improve in lots of the other areas, but, you know, made a massive difference. And and that, you know, I think you actually can learn a lot from that when, you, when you've got a limited amount of time to prepare, whether it's the first time you've coached a team or whether it's an inexperienced team that's had lots of changes due to injury uh, or you had short turnaround like we, like we do. Um, you know, you just can't cover everything. If you try to, you just overcomplicate everything, yeah. and you probably you probably don't do a good job in ten areas. You're better off to leave six areas and focus on four, uh, and do the best you can in those four. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. All right. Well, um, so um, just a couple more questions on the lineout, and then we'll 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 wrap it up. Um, one, we all have the dream that we have, you know, two second rowers who are six foot eight and a couple of massive props who are going to throw them up into the stratosphere. What, what if you're a coach, however, and you you've got a you've got a short pack, or you know, you've even got a couple of tall timber guys? Um, how how does that change your setup for your for your lineout? Uh, I think we saw it. Argentina struggled a bit with this in the in the uh, rugby championship. Excellent scrummage, but they were, you know, fairly fairly short in terms of line-out. So how would you change that up in, in terms of your your, play, your playing group profile? So, you know, I'll start with if, you have, if you've got some talls, um, mm. you know, and particularly you've got one or two only, um, you know the opposition are going to target them really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you know that they're probably a good chance to win ball for you because mm-hmm. they're you know, hopefully good jumpers. But with the opposition really marking them, you'll often find that one of the smaller guys is open anyway. Yeah. So, 
you can use the tools even as a decoy um, mm. and, and until, you know, because they will have gone in with a plan making sure, you know, the guy who's in slot number five, you know, he's their tallest guy. He's their caller. He always calls to himself, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to think of lineouts as a bit like, you know, a magic trick. You show people one thing and then you do another or you do things so fast before they've even had chance to think about what you're doing. Um, so with the tall guys or tall players, you know, you may show them that's where we're going and then do something else and use your shorts anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, use the talls as a lifter. So yep. if they're looking for the cue that the tall guy is about to move and become the jumper, well, if he suddenly is a lifter, well, they weren't expecting that. So, you know, there's another way to do it. Mm. If you've got if you've got all short players, you know, one of the things that there's an advantage there is they don't know who's going to be the jumper. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, if you've got, you've got a full line out, um, you may well tape up, you know, uh, five of your, your, your back five. Mm. It may well be that you're only going to use three, but tape them all up so they look like they're jumpers. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I've got five short players in front of me. Which one's the jumper? Any one of them could be it. And you, you may only pick one or two. But straight away you're starting to, you know, add a little bit of something different to them. Um, as I said, if you've got talls, they start to, to shift towards that. But mm. how do you defend five short jumpers yeah. across the park? Um, yeah. So get your structures there, you know, particularly with um, short jumpers. I, I just like to use a lot of movement, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and do things differently. Um, and, again, speed. If they're short they should be faster than the big, tall uh, players. So use that speed advantage again. Yeah, right. And what what about uh, reducing numbers in the lineout? How would you how would you incorporate that? Yeah, so you know, m- most teams will go down to um, five. Yeah. And you know, if you if you think about it, at lower levels in particular, if you've got a full lineout, teams will often de- defend with two fixed pods of three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they'll 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 try to look like they've got someone who could switch between pods, but the more they're under pressure, the more they fall back to it's two fixed pods of three. If you go to a six-person lineout, well, that does nothing for you because they've still got two fixed pods of three. You know, as soon as you go to five, at least you've broken the two pods and you're, mm-hmm. you're forcing them to start making a decision. Um, so that seems to be the default for everyone. But I tell you, one we use a lot, uh, I've used a lot in the past as a four-man. Mm. Um, and as soon as you go there, you know, it really starts to break things up because everybody's practised for five. Yeah. Um, when you go to three, it's like it's too easy because, mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've really only got limited options. But a four is a really good option because it's something that, you know, not a lot of teams practise for. They'll, they'll work on seven and five. Um, as soon as you go to four, you get the immediate confusion of, well, who drops out on a four? And while they're thinking about who should drop out, you run your line out. Yeah, it's, balls it's, in, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you can do lots of really interesting things. You can you can set up, um, you know, in a, in a uh, three at the front, nothing in the middle and one at the back. Mm. Um, you know, that as soon as you do that, if they don't defend the back, then all you've got to do is get that two of those players back there and you're in clear space. Yeah. But as soon as they do defend the back, the middle is massively open for you. Mm. Um, and as soon as they start thinking about covering the middle, well, you're already in position at the front. You go for the front, yeah. 
So, you know, you, you can do lots of really interesting things with a four-person line-out. All right, sweet. For, for the coaches out there who, uh, you know, want to find some online resources um, that, that are going to upskill their, their line-out coaching, what, what are some of the, the ones that you go to uh, when, when required? Um, I, I've looked at some, some stuff that's on the rugby side. Yep, um, I've yep. seen some videos there in the past. I think mm. you know Victor Matfield had some uh, probably five or six years ago, and I'm sure they'll still be up there. Um, really good. Yeah, he had some really good ones on. Uh, he was using a schoolboy team. Yep. Had some really good ones on movement at the front. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also had you know, someone just on the technique of his jumping. I mean, I, I happen to think that he's one of the best line-out jumpers we've ever yeah, seen. Totally agree. Um, yeah. You know, both technically and tactically. So, you know, basically I'd look for anything you can find from him. Um, yeah, I, as I said, I always find that very interesting. Yeah. Um, the other thing, look, I'd be watching every uh, all-black line-out you can. Um, <laughs> they they have, you know, between Retallick, Whitelock, Reed, and, you know, Kano as well. They've, they've, they've really got five genuine jumping options. But between... Mm. Whitelock, Retallick and Reed, they've got three of the best jumpers in the world. Uh, they're very good tactically um, and their technical work is good. So if all you do is get clips of their lineouts and watch it very closely, um, you could do a lot worse than that. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. All right. Well, we, uh, we always end the show with uh, the same final four questions. When you, uh, when you were a kid growing up, who, uh, who was one of your favourite players that drew you to the game? So 1977-78 Australian schoolboys team uh, went on a tour to the UK and I think 10 of those schoolboys there ended up playing for the Wallabies. Um, they, they, that included uh, Mark Heller at fly half, yeah, who I yeah, think was just was an absolute genius. I used to love watching him play. You know, retired so young, it was a shame we didn't get to see a lot more of him. But, but one of the other guys that was on that tour and... Um, Came back and switched to rugby league was Wally Lewis. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because I think he's the most dom. I think arguably the best rugby league player in the modern era, but certainly the most dominant rugby league player. Yeah, you know, and he was one of the toughest players, so he could play eight or at five eight. Yeah, and um, look, he had all the skills. Uh, I used to, look. I just loved watching him as I was growing up. I could could belt people in defence, could run over the people in attack, he could run around them, he could kick, he had the fantastic long pass. So, look, I'd say he was probably uh, my favourite player growing up. Even though he was playing league, he played a lot of uh, league like he played union. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and being a, being a, a long-suffering New South Wales Blues supporter, I, I remember um, being, being very upset in the 80s with, uh, with his performances. They were, they were outstanding. Yeah, well, I saw I saw a, a stat the other day, or yesterday it might have been, that of the four, first 14 State of Origin matches played, he won six man of the matches. Oh, man, yeah. So, <laughs> he's fairly dominant. Yeah, and it's no no wonder why there's a statue out, out the front of uh, Lang Park for him. Uh, well earned, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he's a beauty for sure. All right, and uh, what about now? Who's some of your favourites going around? Well, look, until he retired, you know, 15 months ago or something, I would have said Richie McCall. Yeah. Um, just thought he, uh, both as a captain, as a tactician, but, you know, his playing ability, incredible. Um, you know, I just, I just, I know lots of people say, you know, played on the edge and 
and bent the rules, but that's his role as a number seven. Um, did it better than anyone. His skills were incredible. But given he's retired, you know, I think I've got two now that, that really, I think, are fantastic. And one's Brodie Retallick uh, and the other, Kieran Reid from the All Blacks. Yeah. Retallick, you know, to me is changing what a lock does. I mean, his skill level for such a big man. And he, he doesn't look like he's an athlete, but, you know, He's so skillful, and Kieran Reid is just about the complete uh, rugby player, I think. Yeah, you, you look at Retallick in that that attacking pattern that the All Blacks use. He's often in the first receiver role and throwing a ten meter pass. Sometimes he's uh, he's unreal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great. All right, and what about coaches? Who's uh, who's a high profile coach that you respect and uh, like like what they're doing? Uh, well, I always I always thought Rod McQueen, uh, who coached the Wallabies yeah. back in the late 90s, you know, he was not obviously a good coach, but he was really innovative. You know, he was there at the start of the professional era. Uh, he was the guy that led lots of the developments that, you know, have taken the game where it's gone now when he worked out what would happen in the professional game and how to play. So he had success at, you know, state level and then at national level and winning the World Cup, obviously, yeah. you know, beating the British and Irish Lions. Look, I, I just thought he was a great coach. Uh, his book is one that I read uh, every couple of years. Um, and, you know, he goes through the process of taking over a, a downtrodden and dispirited Wallabies team, and within two years they'd won the World Cup. And how did he do that? And how did he introduce business principles into into rugby, uh, into a team environment? That was great. Uh, but one of the others that I and I read his book regularly is uh, Jim Greenwood. So mm. used to coach Scotland and then played for, uh, sorry played for Scotland and, and the British and Irish Lions. You know, and he he wrote that book called Total Rugby. Yeah. And if you if you read that book, it's almost like a blueprint for how the All Blacks play now. And yet it was written in the late seventies. Yeah, he's got another one. Think Rugby, right? I think uh, he, he put out another one. There was think yeah, rugby yeah. and total rugby as well. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, pretty much pretty ahead of his time for sure. Absolutely. So what I liked about both of them is they were innovators. Mm, absolutely. All right. Last question. Um, who's a, who's a coach then? Uh, who's maybe doesn't have the the profile that Rob McQueen or Jim Green would do, but uh, who's doing great work and that that you respect what they're doing. So from Australia at the moment, uh, there's a guy called Simon Cron. Um, yeah. He's North he's Mike Cron's nephew. Yep, yep. Yeah, so the All Black scrum coach. Uh, yeah, took uh, North Sydney, uh, which is my old club, to their first premiership in I think 40 years or yeah, even longer yeah. um, last year. Um, he's a Kiwi, but he's well and truly ensconced in Australia now, and he's just been appointed the Australian Under 20s head coach. That's so. They're off uh, to play in the Under-20 World Cup in Georgia. I think oh, it wow. is in June. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, he, he's a, a very smart guy, got some good ideas. Um, haven't been involved with him closely as a coach, but his track record and, you know, the discussions I've had with him certainly indicates to me that he's a coach to watch. And I think you will see him come up through the Australian system. I wouldn't be surprised to see him picked up in Super Rugby in the next year or two. And then who knows where we'll go from there. So he's a guy I'd keep an eye out for. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and that was, that was a huge result for North Sydney. And, uh, you know, it's obviously something something special going on there. And he's he played a big part in that. So uh, that's great. All right. Well, um, you know, great great to have you on the show. Great to chat line-outs. It's the first line-out episode we've had. So uh, 
you know, being a backs coach, I'm, uh, I've, uh, I've learned a bunch um, and really enjoyed it. And, you know, no doubt listeners will get a, get a huge amount out of it. So really want to, want to thank you for coming on the show and want to wish you all the best uh, with the, with the Wallaroos in Ireland in August. And yeah, thanks again, Scott, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's always good to just chat rugby. Yeah, no doubt. All right, beauty. All right, cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.